me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23. <clears throat> Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12. Listen reverently as I read God's word to you. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. And they tie up heavy loads and lay them on men's shoulders. For they themselves, but, but they themselves, are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. For they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. And they love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called by men, Rabbi. But do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth your father. For one is your Father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called leaders. For one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. But whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Amen. Pray with me. Oh Lord, we rejoice that because you're a God who loves us indescribably much, we are objects of your favor. We are people who you wish to lavish good things upon. And we know that the greatest source of that blessing, those lavished blessings, are the scriptures, which we so desperately need. We need to hear from you, which is what scripture is. It's you speaking to us. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to us afresh through your written word as I preach it. Would you please ultimately be the one whom we hear expounding your word. And we pray that we would respond as you would have us respond, in humility, in faith, and in love. For you are God. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Kids, I'm sure your parents have told you this. I'm sure you're, let's, let's pick on your dad. Um, <laughs> I'm sure your dad has said to you um, more than once, probably many times, 
um, that it's wrong to lie. You must not lie. You know that's one of the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt not bear false witness, which means you shouldn't lie. God doesn't want us to do that. It's a sin. It's wrong. Okay? And I'm sure your dad has told you uh, it's wrong to lie. You mustn't lie. But let's just say this happened, and I hope it didn't happen. Uh, I suspect it probably never has, but let's just imagine for a moment that this has happened. Your dad has told you you must not lie, but what if one day you heard your dad tell someone else a lie in your presence, and you were like, Daddy's lying. What if that happened? Now, I don't expect it will, but let's just say it did. If you, if your daddy acted that way, this applies to your mommy too, if they told you to do one thing or not do one thing and then they did the opposite, that's what's called being a hypocrite. Jesus uses that word, stop. Jesus uses that word <laughs> a lot to describe the enemies of the gospel uh, who are religious leaders, um, actually in this chapter. They're hypocrites. And your daddy, or Pastor Mark, or anybody else who is a professing Christian, a real Christian even, who says one thing and then does something else against what they say is the right thing to do, are being hypocrites. So let me ask you, kids, if your dad, who has told you, don't lie, were to tell a lie to somebody and you saw it, should you follow your dad's example? Shake your heads one way or the other. Should you follow your dad's example? No, you should not. If he did that. But of course, daddy's not going to do that, right, daddy? Not going to do that. But if he did, you must not follow his example. Well, guess what? In this text, Jesus is not talking, he's really talking to spiritual fathers, not actual fathers like your dad is, but to spiritual fathers, kind of men who are sort of like me. He's talking about them. And he's saying, you shepherds of Israel, you uh, ministers of your people, you teachers of your people who were the Jews in Jesus' day, he's saying, these men, and if some of them were present, they probably were listening to what he said, he's saying, you do not practice what you preach. And you people who are under them must not follow what they do. Let's not repeat what they do. That's, that's the gist of this text that, that I'm going to unpack here for you in the next half hour or so. That's the gist of it. Um, and that applies to me and the other pastors. You know I'm not the only pastor in this church, right? There are four of us. Um, it applies to us and your relationship with us uh, as well. We're going to learn about that, about what you should and shouldn't do with respect to the leaders, the spiritual leaders in your life. This text speaks to it eloquently. Just a reminder here, the background, this is the last week of Jesus' life. It's probably Tuesday of Passion Week still. Uh, The section that uh, I read, verses 1 through 12, comprises the first section of a three-part a discourse that Jesus engages in, which extends all the way to the end of this chapter, chapter 23. Um, it's the last public discourse that Jesus uh, gives uh, uh, 
last last public discourse of his earthly life. Now, he actually is going to give one more discourse, but it's not public. It's going to be uh, only the disciples are going to hear his final discourse, which is found in chapters 24 and 25 that we're going to look at here in the, the, before too long in the future. But this is the last public one that Jesus gives. Two things, principal things, that we learn from this text. And they are these points. One, whenever your under-shepherds, or the, uh, whenever your pastors, under-shepherds, elders, I'm going to call them under-shepherds, whenever your under-shepherds, under-shepherds faithfully declare to you what the scriptures teach, you must obey them. Whenever your under-shepherds faithfully declare to you what the scriptures teach, you must obey them. But secondly, whenever your under-shepherds fail to model for you what the scriptures require, you must not imitate them. You must not imitate them. So first point in this text, which is found in verses 1 through uh, the first part of verse 3, whenever your under-shepherds faithfully faithfully declare to you what the scriptures teach, you must obey them. Jesus said in verse 3 there, uh, I'll start in verse 2, he says, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, and that, by the way, is not bad in and of itself. It doesn't, doesn't imply that they uh, you know, pushed somebody else out of the chair to sit down in it wrongly. But they, they are seated. They have seated themselves in the chair, and I'll explain that in a moment. Uh, but he says, after that, because that's the fa- fact, therefore, that's the, this is the deduction that you should draw from this fact, therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe now, listen to all that they tell you, do and observe. Now, what does Jesus mean by that? Well, he cannot mean, Jesus cannot mean when he says all that they tell you, do and observe. He cannot mean do everything the scribes and the Pharisees say, no matter what it might be. That's not what Jesus means. How do I know that? Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, several chapters back, Jesus repeatedly told his audience not to obey the various unscriptural practices taught by the scribes and the Pharisees. Much of the Sermon on the Mount is devoted to saying, don't do what these men are teaching you to do or believe what they are teaching you to believe because they're wrong. And it was the scribes and the Pharisees who were the objects of his ire in the Sermon on the Mount. Also, by the way, in Matthew 16, 6, Jesus there in that chapter tells his disciples, "Beware, watch out and beware the leaven of the, uh, of the Pharisees. And, and he, now he mentions there the Sadducees also, but he mentions the, the Pharisees. Beware the leaven, in other words, the bad influence the bad teaching, the bad conduct of the Pharisees, and he also mentions the Sadducees. So he cannot mean, absolutely, regardless of what they tell you, the script, you know, whatever they teach or tell you or require of you, it cannot mean you always have to do it. Okay? Got that established. Well, what does it mean? Well, 
Jesus' reference to the chair of Moses sheds light on what Jesus means when he gives this instruction. Uh, All that they tell you to do, do and observe. The chair of Moses, now we can't be certain of this, but there are a couple possibilities. The chair of Moses may be one of two things. First of all, it may be a reference to an actual chair that was probably found in first first century synagogues in uh, in Israel. Uh, it was a seat which was assigned. Uh, if it was, and there's some debate about it, but uh, there's probably there's some evidence that this was the case. Uh, not conclusive from what I read, but it, it, there's certainly uh, some uh, suggestive that it was the case. It was a seat that was in the synagogues, and it was assigned to the ablest teacher in that community uh, of the law of Moses. Whoever was the ablest um, expositor, uh, teacher of the law of Moses, which is is the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, we call it, the Torah, the Jews call it. Whoever that was, that was his seat. He sat in the chair of Moses. Now, that's one possible understanding of it. The other is that it might just be a figurative expression that doesn't actually bring to mind an actual chair. It really doesn't make any difference because either way, the chair of Moses, whether it's actual or figurative, represents those men who were responsible for explaining the law of Moses to the people in Jesus' day. That's what it represents. Okay, The leadership of the Jewish church, in other words. And it was the business of the scribes, most of whom were Pharisees, not all of them, but most of whom were Pharisees. It was their business to teach God's word as it had been revealed through Moses, um, and presumably the prophets as well, but especially through Moses, uh, to teach God's people from the law and the prophets and the writings uh, also. William Hendrickson observes this in his commentary, and I think it's helpful to understanding why this is the case. Hendrickson says, Though these men, the scribes uh, and the Pharisees, though these men were often mistaken, though they refused to see the fulfillment of prophecy in Jesus, though and though by accepting the traditions of the fathers, man-made uh, practices or regulations, And though they accepted the traditions of the fathers and even augmented them, they were, excuse me, let me back up. Let me start over. Though these men were often mistaken, though they refused to see the fulfillment of prophecy in Jesus, and though by accepting the traditions of the fathers and even augmenting them, they were often burying the law of God, it remains true nevertheless that on several points they in distinction from the Sadducees and the Herodians, were telling and teaching the truth. So, for example, the the, um, Pharisaic scribes taught the immortality of the soul, rightly. The Sadducees denied it, but they rightly taught uh, immortality of the soul. They rightly taught bodily resurrection, that the bodies of all people would one day be raised, which the Sadducees, the liberals of their day, denied. They rightly taught the existence of angels, they rightly taught the uh, belief in the providence of God. These were, these were doctrines that they held to, which were correct uh, over and against uh, what the Sadducees and others taught. So they had a lot of things right, the Pharisees, uh, the scribal Pharisees did. So, given that fact, 
uh, and that they were the teachers of the Lamb, but G- and Jesus says what he says, but he can't mean absolutely do everything they tell you to do. What Jesus must have meant when he told his hearers to do and observe all that the scribes and the Pharisees tell you is do whatever they say whenever they are faithfully teaching and applying what the law of Moses and other scriptures say. That's the point Jesus is making there. Undoubtedly, because we have to compare Scripture with Scripture, which is what we've done just now. And that has to be the meaning. Okay. The scribes and the Pharisees were, as I've already indicated, the church leaders of their day. The under-shepherds, the pastors of their day, of the Jewish church, who were providentially assigned um, the job of faithfully teaching and applying the scriptures to God's people. That was their providentially given job. Much as elders in the church today are the under-shepherds, the pastors of the New Testament people of God. Now that faithful declaration of the word is also the foremost responsibility of today's elders, just like it was of the scribes and the Pharisees of old, just as that, or that that faithful declaration of the word is our foremost responsibility to you and before God is evident from Paul's list of elder qualifications in Titus 1 9. Uh, Titus 1, I should say, um, and there are other places, too, that make this point, but this is the one that makes it most eloquently. So if you, uh, in Titus chapter 1, there are two uh, places where qualifications for elders are found. One is in uh, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, or is it 3? Uh, chapter 3, sorry. And the other is in Titus 1. And so he starts in verse 5, and he's uh, Paul's says, for this reason, I left you, uh, Titus, I left you in Crete, that you might set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. And then he gives a list of qualifications. And the, the last one that he gives is found in verse 9. He says that the elders must hold fast to the faithful word. Why? Of the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, meaning the apostolic teaching. That, so that he may be able to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. That is the elders, not just mine, but collectively the elders' job. Job um, that God has given to us. We are to faithfully declare the scripture, we have to understand them, uh, and we have to faithfully exhort uh, in sound doctrine from them. That's what we do first and foremost, and uh, really ultimately it, it comprises all that we do when we pastor uh, those of you who are under us. What does it mean to faithfully declare the scriptures? Well, it's what it means is, first of all, it means to rightly explain what they're saying. Uh, perhaps you've heard ministers uh, who are preaching and, and they're looking at a text and they read it to you and then they start saying things and you go like, what? What? Wow. Where'd that come from? Um, that's, not, that's not faithfully uh, explaining the scriptures when pastors... Um, 
ignore the text or are cavalier in their in their unpacking of a text of scripture. To rightly explain is to explain the facts of the passage, whatever passage or passages you're looking at. And to do so in light of the context uh, of those passages and also in light of where those passages are uh, were written in redemptive history, when, rather, in redemptive history those passages were uh, uh, written. Because depending on where the passages are found uh, affects how they're applied. We don't apply... Uh, a lot of the laws, the ceremonial laws in the Old Testament, the way the Old Testament Jew did. We still need to apply them using the principle of general equity, it's called. But we don't apply them in the same way. We don't, we don't, we don't sacrifice, for example. Okay? So you, to faithfully declare, we are to, uh, uh, under shepherds are to rightly explain the scriptures. They are to also draw proper Underline the word there, proper conclusions from the facts that are found in those passages, whatever they might be. It's possible to get the facts right, but then to conclude wrong things from those facts. Uh, and then thirdly, proper faithful exegete, uh, de- declaration of the scriptures means properly applying the lessons drawn to the lives of those who are recipients of the instruction. That's what I mean by faithfully, and the scriptures mean by, although this phrase is not directly found in there, faithfully declare the scriptures, the word of God. Okay? So, back to the uh, original point of, let me remind you, whenever your under-shepherds faithfully declare to you what the scriptures teach, you must, not you can, but you must, obey them. Why? Why must you do that when these men, and they will be always men, are faithfully declaring to you what the scriptures teach? Why is that? Well, first, the, the, the reason is because God in his inscrutable wisdom, wisdom says that you must. You're in the church. By the way, church membership is biblical. All Christians... Uh, uh, need to belong to, be committed to a local body of uh, uh, of the of Christians, uh, a local expression of the church, if you will, because you can't obey uh, your your leaders. And we're going to look at that passage here in just a second, unless you have leaders to who who uh, who are over you and to whom you've come under their authority voluntarily uh, and said, "You're my leader. Uh, I'm going to uh, do what you tell me to do as the Bible directs me to." So, you're in, in a, a church, they're your leaders, and God says what? Well, let's look at it. Hebrews chapter 13, verse, seven, verse 17, is, um, and it's found, the, the principle is found in many places, but this is by far the clearest. Obey, Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders, plural. Notice that. And submit to them. That is not a suggestion. It is a command. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they keep watch over your souls. They're responsible for your spiritual well-being. And you're responsible to follow their instructions so that you will be spiritually well off. And therefore you're to obey them. In other words, it's, it's for your good that you're to obey the men that God has placed over you as uh, under shepherds. And they are men who, as the text says, who will give an account for their... Uh, that scares the scares the life out of me sometimes when I read that. 
who will give an account for what they've done or haven't done with respect to you. And then he says, this is good, let them do this with joy and not with grief. Please, let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Please be good sheep. <laughs> anyway, um, you are good sheep. That's, it's been wonderful serving you, and I think the other elders uh, agree with me wholeheartedly. Um, so that's why, because God says so. God says you need to obey. You need to submit. That's what submit means. What are the specific instances in which you need to, you know, in which God requires you to submit to their instruction? If an elder says, you know, go buy a, go to the store for for us and buy a box of or a, a package of puff Kleenexes rather than or puffs rather than Kleenexes, you know, that's not one of those things that is at issue here. That was a stupid example. But you get the point. Things like that are not what, uh, that's not when you have to uh, obey uh, uh, a church leader. No. When the instances in which this is required is when you're listening to a sermon by a lawfully ordained man of God, whom God has uh, indicated is lawfully ordained through the church. When you're listening to a sermon in which God's word is being faithfully Underlined faithfully, analyzed, interpreted, and applied. If it's not being faithfully uh, analyzed, interpreted, and applied, you don't have to. But if it is, you do. Secondly, a second situation in which God requires you to submit and obey is when you are being, and I use this word intentionally, solemnly exhorted, by one or more of your spiritual leaders to engage in or refrain from engaging in certain behaviors, attitudes, or words, or when you are being solemnly exhorted by them to embrace or renounce a certain doctrinal view. And, and this is key, I keep underlining stuff uh, metaphorically here, but uh, uh, figuratively, and when the elders do this, either say, cease and desist from some behavior, or you need to do this, or you need to stop believing that doctrine because it's heresy and you're going to get to hell if you hang on to it. Uh, you need to do that when these elders over you are referencing appropriately applicable scriptures in support of their exhortations. Our job is merely declarative. Our job is not to legislate as elders. Far, far too many uh, church leaders down through the years, and Rome is famous for this, but so are Protestant churches, sad to say, uh, legislate. They create laws and say, you got to obey these laws because we said so. Whatever they are. Don't drink, chew, hang with those who do, whatever. We, our job is merely to declare to you pastorally what is God has said and its implications. That's it. Well, we have to love you too, demonstrably, um, and set good examples for you. So there is other stuff, but principally it's about feeding you from the word. 
when, and so in, when elders in their official capacity are solemnly exhorting you, that's the other time when you need to listen up. And you need to submit. So, what if, what if those charged with your spiritual oversight and care are improperly, unfaithfully expounding and or applying God's word, or just outright uh, defying what you know is God's word? What if they're doing that? Some of you have been in churches where that's happened. Hopefully not this one. But anyway, what do you do? Well, here is what you do. You not only may ignore their instructions to you, you must ignore their instructions to you. Just as Peter and John did when they, when the members of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, prohibited them from speaking to anyone anymore about Jesus in John chapter 4. They said, sorry, we have to obey God, not you. And God has told us we need to do this. You are required to object and to say, I will not do what you are telling me at that point. For to ignore such uh, instructions, uh, uh, or excuse me, for not, not to ignore such instructions, but to actually follow or do what you're told to do when it's unbiblical, when it's a man-made law or something like that, to do that, if you do that, you're in sin. You are in sin. Because at the very least, you're going to be obeying your church leaders in violation of what your conscience is telling you God's law says. So it would be sin for you to obey um, legislation, laws that we created, rules that we, we come up with, and say, you've got to do this. Because you're violating your own conscience, which is automatically a sin. And you would also be encouraging your errant spiritual leader or leaders to persist in their dangerous error unchallenged. You need to defy at that point. But, but, there is a solemn warning that comes with what I have just said. And here it is. Don't ever cavalierly dismiss your spiritual leader's interpretation and or application of a passage of scripture simply because you don't agree uh, Simply because you don't agree, uh, because their interpretation doesn't agree with your current understanding of that passage or what the Bible teaches. Just because their view is in conflict with your view doesn't mean you automatically go, I'm going to ignore you. Because remember, there's supposed to be godly, um, wise biblical leaders. So maybe they know something you don't know. You see. Also, don't ever cavalierly dismiss what your spiritual leaders your spiritual leaders interpretation and or application of a passage of scripture because it's inconvenient or uncomfortable for you to hear. So, for example, if you are doing something that they tell you is sin and you don't want to hear it, you've got to hear it for your own spiritual well-being. And 
You can't just go, I don't agree with that. Or I don't like that. Doesn't matter. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about what God wants. Why must you never cavalierly dismiss or cavalierly dismiss uh, the instructions or application that come from your spiritual leaders? Well, two reasons uh, in addition to what I've already said, and that is, first of all, God has providentially put them in authority over you. God has put those leaders over you. You can say, well, I, I, you know, I was the one who chose to join this church. Yeah, but you did. And you're now stuck with your church family and your church leadership. God did that. Um, and it's their, uh, they're in authority over you, and their job is to feed and care for your soul. As, as per uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, which I won't reread. And the second reason why you need to not cavalierly dismiss what they say, even if you disagree with it or if it's uncomfortable, is because they are Jesus, King Jesus's ambassadors. They speak, he speaks through the elders. Uh, not always. When they're wrong, he's not speaking. But when they're right, he's speaking. When they're speaking in their official capacity, either from the pulpit or in a, um, in a pastoral uh, uh, situation um, to you. Okay. So, whenever your, uh, your spiritual, excuse me, your under-shepherds are faithfully declaring to you what the scriptures teach, you must obey them. But secondly, and more briefly, whenever your understanding, excuse me, whenever your under-shepherds fail to model for you what the scriptures require, you must not obey them or must not imitate them, is uh, really what I'm getting at. And this is found in verses 3 through 12, and I'm going to make this quick here. But, but the shepherd, or the uh, uh, scribes and Pharisees as a whole, not all of them, of course, but as a whole, they were under-shepherds who failed to model what the scriptures required. They may have taught what the scriptures required, uh, but they oftentimes most of them failed to model it. And when um, <clears throat> they regularly and often blatantly did not practice what they preached, in other words. Now, as teachers and pastors of their day, they should have modeled. Not perfectly, don't put us on that pedestal. <clears throat> it's impossible. But they should have characteristically modeled what it meant for a ser- uh, to be a servant of Yahweh who was trusting in Yahweh's anointed for their forgiveness. That was what a Jewish uh, believer, prior to knowing that Jesus was the Messiah, that's what saved him. He was a servant of Jehovah, trusting in Jehovah's uh, anointed for forgiveness, for Je- Jehovah's forgiveness and reconciliation with him, even though they didn't know his name was Jesus before this period of time. But so, the, the scribes and the Pharisees were often regularly, um, uh, they should have rather modeled what it meant to do that. Their lives should have been characterized uh, by, and this is even pre-Pentecost, this is true, should have been characterized by such fruits of conversion as humility, sincerity, mercy, love, and forgiveness, just to mention a few. 
Their lives should have been characterized by those virtues. But the lives of these spiritual leaders that Jesus is speaking of were not characterized by such evidences of the Spirit's work. The reason for this state of affairs in their lives was that these pastors of God's Old Testament people were unconverted. They were lost. They were spiritually dead. They professed faith in Yahweh, but the profession was a sham. This is evidenced by the way that they were acting. And Jesus unpacks that, and I will very briefly go over it with you. But three basic things that characterize their behavior that Jesus mentions here in in, uh, Matthew 23. First, they lacked insincerity. Verse 3, I'll get to it. They they preached one thing from from Moses' chair, but they did another. We read there in verse 3, the second part of the verse, But do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. This was their MO. This is kind of the way they operated pretty regularly and standardly. They were hypocrites, in other words, with a capital H. We're all hypocritical at times. But these guys were were, um, unabashed hypocrites, just as many church leaders are today. Sad to say. You, any of us, myself included, we must flee from any church body or not uh, become a part of any church body whose leaders practice flagrant hypocrisy. If you're considering looking at a church or joining a church and you see an evidence of flagrant hypocrisy, unrepentant, unrepented of hypocrisy that happens over and over again. Doesn't matter if he knows the byword if the if they know the Bible backwards and forwards, doesn't matter. Leave. It's not for you. Not only were the majority of the scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day lacking in sincerity, they were also lacking in human sympathy. We read uh, in verse four that, uh, and they tie up heavy loads and lay them on men's shoulders. The heavy burdens that Jesus is referring to consisted of the many man-made, not biblical, but man-made regulations that the scribes and the Pharisees heaped upon their Jewish followers. Regulations that had the effect of blinding those very followers to what God actually was requiring of them. Because they were so preoccupied with all this frivolous nonsense that the, uh, their church leaders had said, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. Can't walk any more than so many steps on Sunday. It was, it was Saturday then. On Saturday. So count your steps. Be sure to count all your steps. And stop short of that last one that we told you you can't take. These regulations blinded people from what God actually required, and these man-made regulations given by these uh, godless men deprived God's people of their spiritual freedom and their peace of mind. So I already mentioned one. Another example would be plucking heads of grain. 
They, they said, plucking heads of grain, you take a few heads of grain, that amounts to uh, uh, threshing or reaping, and you can't do that on Sunday. You remember the incident with Jesus when the, they confronted, the Pharisees confronted Jesus about that? That was ridiculous. you got to eat on Sunday. Actually, you don't have to eat, but you may eat. Yeah, you can, you can fast for a whole day, but you're not required to. You see, that's not part of actual Sabbath observance, legitimate Sabbath observance. That's stupid. It's worse than that. It's sinful. It's evil uh, to, to make such laws because they, 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 they mask God's actual requirements. Another example was, can't heal on Sunday. They said, oh, no, 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 no. That's work. You mustn't show somebody mercy on Sunday by healing them, Jesus. Absurd. Evil to say that. And what made matters worse was the scribes and the Pharisees, again, most of them, were indifferent to the spiritual burden that their unbiblical demands were placing upon the people under their care. Again, verse 4, And they tie up heavy loads and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger, meaning help lighten the load for them. They don't care. They don't care that it's it's uh, uh, burdensome for these people, spiritually speaking. This is a problem today in the church at large, especially in churches that impose unbiblical requirements upon their people. They are burdening their people, God's people, with their man-made regulations. They are masking or clouding what God actually requires of people, of his people. Avoid any church like that and tell your friends to as well. And then thirdly, this passage, um, Jesus points out that the scribes and the Pharisees not only lacked sincerity and human sympathy, they also very much lacked humility. They were very proud men and self-centered men. Verse 5, I'll read that, but they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. I won't go into the details of what that means, but these things, basically, what they were designed to do, broadening the phylacteries and lengthening the, whatever it is he said there, uh, the tassels, were designed to draw people's attention to them and specifically to their supposed careful law-keeping. Because these these had significance with respect to law-keeping, but I won't go into it. Anyway, it was, to, it was designed to get people to look at them and then cause those same people to heap praise upon them for their wonderful piety and devotion to the law of God, which they weren't. All they wanted was the praise, the accolades, the uh, the attention. They were sycophants, not sycophants, um, they were, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Anyway, uh, they were bad. They also, verse 6 tells us that they loved the place of honor at banquets. They, they relished the chief seats in the synagogues. Verse 7 tells us that they yearned for verbal demonstrations of respect from people. They wanted people to say things to him, particularly to address them as rabbi, which means my lord, which also had a teaching, it also kind of meant my lord teacher, uh, uh, 
sort of, sort of a paraphrased. Um, they just they ate that up, massaged the ego of the of the minister or ministers. Too many churches today, excuse me, church leaders today long for the same kind of recognition and honor and attention. If a church leader is characterized, I won't say this doesn't happen sometimes, to, it does probably to all church leaders, but if, if a church leader is actually characterized by such an idolatrous yearning for attention and for respect and for honor and for recognition, he is disqualified from the ministry. He should be defrocked if he's a minister. Over against the scribes and Pharisees' prideful longings for these regular ego massages from their um, sheep, Jesus urges in the remaining verses of our passage the cultivation of humility. Verses 8 through 10, in verses 8, I'll read it verses 8 through 10. He says, um, But do not be called rabbi. For one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not be called, and do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. Uh, and, and he continues. But there in verses 8 through 10, Jesus is continuing, this is a continuation of his condemnation of an inordinate yearning for recognition above others from the uh, from the scribes and the Pharisees and from anybody who might imitate the scribes and the Pharisees. He's saying this it's it's idolatrous. It's idolatrous to to want attention like that and and recognition like that. What he is not doing here folks and this is important He's not telling his hearers, Jesus isn't, he's not telling us, that it's automatically a sin to call someone your father, meaning your spiritual father. It's not automatically a sin to do that. Because why, why do I say that? I used to think, by the way, it was automatically a sin to call, uh, uh, cause, call somebody my spiritual father. Um, the reason it's not is because you can't you can't come up with that scripturally. Over in First um, Corinthians chapter four, Paul calls himself the father of the Corinthians, spiritual father of the Corinthians. He says in chapter four, verse fifteen. <clears throat> let me back up to verse fourteen. I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Notice my beloved children. Then he says, for if you were to have countless tutors in Christ. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. This is just as much scripture and God's word as what Jesus says in Matthew uh, 23. He is not saying absolutely you must never call somebody your spiritual father. Nor, by the way, and this, is, this also applies to the terms teacher and the, terms, and the term leader. What he is telling you and me must be not to make uh, uh, those of us, whether it be, be spiritual uh, 
leaders or laity not to make it our goal in life to acquire honorific titles and the accolades that accompany those often accompany those titles. That's what he's chiding against or warning against. It's a continuation of of uh, his um, uh, denouncing respectful greetings and desire to be called rabbi that he mentions there in verse seven. It's just a continuation of that thought. He's saying, "Don't seek that stuff out. You don't need to be the center of the universe, as I've told my children for years." You are at the center of the universe. Don't act like you are. Don't think you need to be. You and I must not inordinately long for such recognition or titles or um, accolades from others. If we get them, because the Lord has blessed us and done something with us that's useful to others and pleasing to others, that's fine. Just don't seek it out. And this, by the way, doesn't just apply to those of us here who are elders, but it applies to all of us. Humility is what God's people need. Indeed, humility must and will increasingly characterize the true Christian's life. Humility means not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. And this requires that you have an accurate, that is to say, biblical understanding of who and what you are. What are we here in this room who are in Jesus? We are sinful dust who are nothing apart from God's grace, but who are infinitely loved by God and new creatures in Christ. That's what we are. All those things that I just mentioned need to be in our minds as to who we are. We are sinful dust that are greatly blessed by God, and God loves us, and we're new creatures. Praise the Lord. But we are sinful, forgiven dust. And you got to hold those both when you think about who you are, that you might properly act in this world and serve God. Is that your understanding of who you are? Do you, do you think of yourself as sinful but forgiven dust who is a new creature in Christ and loved by God? See, that's, I think that's pretty close to the mark as, in terms of the overall teaching of Scripture. That's what you need, and you need to pray for it if you don't have it. And by the way, for anybody who's listening to me who might not, uh, might not yet know Jesus savingly, unless you humble yourself before God, you cannot be saved. In order to be born again, one must humble himself before God. I won't take the time to read it, but Luke uh, chapter 18, verses uh, uh, 9 through 14, the uh, parable of the um, tax collector and the Pharisee makes that very point, that you have to, you have to humble yourself before God, uh, or you will not you will not be justified by, by him. And only God can give you that grace. But you must understand that apart from God, you are a wretched person, as we all are, apart from God's grace working in our lives. I will close by reading the oft-repeated promise that Jesus reaffirms in verse 12. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. And in an unpleasant way is what Jesus means. And whoever humbles himself shall be exalted.
Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the that you are ultimately uh, are our ultimate spiritual shepherd. You are our great shepherd, Jesus. You are the shepherd of our souls. And yet, Lord, you have um, delegated your shepherding authority uh, to under-shepherds, human, sinful um, humans, but who have been redeemed. Um, And we thank you that you use uh, people like myself, uh, sinners saved by grace, um, to uh, be a blessing to other sinners in the church. Uh, who need spiritual nourishment and encouragement and leading. We ask, Lord, that you would give grace to those of us who lead this church, um, and not just this church, but all of true churches of yours. We ask that you would help us, Lord, to be to model what your word requires of your people, to your people. And we pray, Lord, that you would give grace to those who are under others spiritually, uh, that you would give grace to um, to follow, uh, not to idolize, but to follow and to obey, submit to uh, those leaders whom you have placed over them. And Lord, if there's anyone listening today that doesn't know you, Lord Jesus, uh, savingly, they think they do maybe, but they don't, Would you please save such a one? Open his eyes to see that he's a wretched man or woman who deserves your wrath but can have your grace by believing in Jesus. And would you give that faith to that individual? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Receive now God's blessing. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Amen.